0: Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. This is episode five, Permission to Make Decisions. Hi, everybody. So there was an earthquake near where I live last night or sometime early this morning. Did you feel it? I was sound asleep. It did not wake me up. But it was Valentine's Day yesterday, which kind of makes me question what kind of post-Valentine's Day activities were happening in South Salt Lake around 5 a.m. that caused the earth to move. What's going on up there, Bluffdale? Of course, now today I'm thinking about what if the earthquake had been stronger? What if it had been more serious? There would have been all kinds of decisions to make. Should we get out of the house? Do I need to get my kids out or do we seek shelter in the house? And if we stay in the house, where's the safest place for us to be? If we needed to evacuate, where would we go and what would we take with us? And these are decisions that would have to be made very quickly. So how fortuitous that today's episode is all about making decisions. Little public service announcement for Utah residents. The website utah.gov forward slash be ready has great information to help prepare families for natural disasters. And wherever you are, check the resources available in your state and local communities. We've been talking the past two episodes about the power of permission. Last week, I got a lot of great feedback about the power of giving yourself permission to make life easier, permission to do less, to decomplicate life, to let go of the 4.0 and to solve problems without a fuss. I am so glad that resonated and that you feel a little more empowered, a little more joyful, a little more in the driver's seat of your life. Today's episode is the power of permission to make decisions. Have you given yourself permission to make decisions? True story. A couple of weeks ago, I'm in Walmart and I'm over here. One of the stalkers, not a like kidnapper stalker, like a a shelf restocker talking to one of her coworkers. And she was saying, I cannot make a decision to save my life. My family won't even ask me to go out to dinner anymore with them because I can never decide where I want to go. So they just go without me. And by the time they get back, I finally thought, well, maybe we could go to Applebee's. I am no good at making decisions, which is why my life isn't going anywhere. That's the conversation, like, recorded nearly verbatim. So this girl, she knows that she's not good at making decisions. But what she doesn't know is that she has the power to change. She has told herself for so long that she can't make decisions that now she believes it's true. She believes that genetically, like being born without a leg, that it's impossible for her to make a decision. But I tell you, there are plenty of people born without legs who figure out how to travel successfully through life, which is the purpose of legs after all. So the first thing I would tell this girl is to change her story, change her words and start saying things like, I trust myself to make a worthy choice. Now she's not here. If any of you happen to run into her at the American Fork Walmart, maybe you can tell her about this podcast, but you are here. So I will tell you the same thing that I have been telling myself for years. It doesn't matter your past experience with making decisions. Right now, today, you have the ability to learn how, and practice, becoming an effective decision maker. If you think about it, decision making is probably one of the most useful skills on the planet for humans of all ages, since we must do it multiple times a day. So how are you at making decisions? What type of a decision maker are you? Are you fairly competent? Do you make decisions like a boss and own those decisions? Or do you feel like you're kind of terrible at making decisions? Does having to make a choice paralyze you with trepidation and self doubt? Are you a waffler, a questioner, a fence sitter, a wait and see what happens kind of person? Do you experience decision remorse? That's kind of like buyer's remorse, but for life choices instead of handbags and shoes. Do you make decisions, or do you tend to let the decisions make you? Do you prefer to not make a decision until the decision makes itself because you'd rather deal with what was meant to be? Researchers at Cornell University estimate that we make 226 decisions every day. Does that sound overwhelming? Well, get this. That's 226 decisions every day about food. The research estimates that the average adult actually makes 35000 Thousand remotely conscious decisions every day. Lots of subconscious or less conscious decisions happening. Those are also known as habits, knee jerk reactions, living in robot mode, etc. But 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. And things can get even scarier when we remember that each and every decision has a consequence. So if the thought of having to make a decision overwhelms you, then hearing that little tidbit of information, you're probably feeling nearly paralyzed with fear, right? It is okay. You are listening to the former queen of indecision herself, but I gave up that crown and I am now a recovering second guesser. I am a reformed waffler, which sounds like being a breakfast chef, but actually means that I'm a rehabilitated hesitator. So I'm absolutely qualified to talk about making decisions. Just please don't ask my husband about the mess I make in the closet every night because I can't decide which pajamas to wear to bed. When you heard that today's topic was going to be about making decisions, did your brain instantly go into negative mode? Did you think, I am a terrible decision maker, I'm lousy at making decisions, I should be better, I can never decide what to do, I've got to get better at making decisions. I hear you. I wrestle with wavering every day. How about for the next 20 minutes, we shush those automatic negative thoughts and enter a judgment-free zone? No self-judgment. My invitation is to simply listen and observe. Increase personal awareness about your decision-making process. Awareness is the first step to change. You don't get positive results in life by thinking negatively. After listening to this episode, you will know and be able to recognize several barriers that trip you up in the decision-making process. And you will be in possession of three simple and effective tools for becoming more confident, self-trusting, and speedy in making decisions. Let's start by talking the barriers first. I like to teach about obstacles because if you know obstacles are coming, you can recognize and maneuver around them much easier. It's like when you're playing a video game like Super Mario and there are brick walls that you can't get past or locked doors that you can't get through unless you've learned a secret combination of buttons to push. Or if you know where to find that special mushroom that gives you a coin to buy the tool to break through the wall. Yeah, kind of like that, only much easier. There are six barriers, six brick walls or doors that are hard to open that make decision making difficult. Number one, labeling. We tend to label decisions as being good or bad, right or wrong. This is the number one reason I think that decisions are hard because as humans, we've developed a habit of measuring our decisions based on the outcome. What do we do? Usually we make a decision, then we wait for the results to see if it was a good decision or a bad decision. If the results turn out well, then we say that it was the right decision. But if the results go sour, then we say we made the wrong decision. Can you see how that is measuring the decision on the wrong end of the stick? The value of making the decision happens when the decision is made, not later depending on the outcome. Here's an example. One of the hardest decisions I've struggled with all of my life is when to take my kids or even when to take myself to a doctor or when to let nature take its course and let bodies heal on their own. Do they need an antibiotic or is their earache going to heal on its own? Do they need stitches for that gash on the forehead? Is that strange rash a sign of childhood diabetes or does it just mean that I shouldn't have bought the cheaper laundry detergent? Over the years, I have taken kids to the doctor and paid big bucks for x-rays for what turned out to be mild sprains. And I've let kids walk around with gaping wounds that should have had stitches. My little sister is going through this right now. Last week, she took her daughter in for a flu swab, which is a miserable test. They jabbed that swab clear up almost to the brain. And when all was said and done, the test came back negative. So she says, well, I guess I didn't need to take her to the doctor after all. Here's the point. Does the fact that the flu swab came back negative mean that my sister made the wrong decision about going to the doctor? Or what if the swab had come back positive, would that mean that she had made the right decision about going to the doctor? The answer is no for both. The result of the swab test does not determine a good or bad decision. Why? Because we can't measure our decisions based on the outcome. It's skewed thinking to wait for the outcome and depending on the outcome, go back to label whether the decision was good or bad, right or wrong. It's called an outcome because it is outside of our control. If my sister had known what the results of the flu swab would be, then she wouldn't have had to make a decision. We make decisions because we don't know what the outcome will be. So it's unfair to judge ourselves and to regret our decision making based on unknown outcomes. makes sense? Because labeling a decision right or wrong, good or bad, based on what the results are going to be, actually trips up our decision-making process because we're trying to predict future outcome in order to make a decision now. And unless you have a gift of fortune telling, you're not going to be able to do that. So how do we measure our decisions? If I made the best choice based on the information, experience, and resources I have available to me at the time, then I made a good decision because I made a decision. That's all. This is why my favorite quotation of all time is, it is our efforts, not our achievements that perfect us. I feel far more powerful in my life when I concentrate on my efforts, on the things that are in my control, rather than worrying about the outcomes or the results might be. The number two barrier is the, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to choose nothing. I'm going to do nothing. I do this so often at 5 PM. I don't know what to make for dinner. So I make nothing. I don't know what I want to major in at college. So I'm not going to major in anything or I'm not going to go to college. I don't know what I want to do for my career, so I do nothing. I call this sitting in the I don't know chair, and it's a guaranteed way to not get anywhere. This I don't know space is filled with self-doubt and a false belief that there is a right choice that will miraculously be manifested to me if I just sit here and wait for it. I still like to believe that there are dinner fairies who will mystically reveal to me what I should make for dinner. And the only thing that has ever happened is that my hungry family has gotten really grumpy while I'm waiting for the dinner fairies to appear. Number three barrier, fear. Three kinds of fear here, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of the unknown. We can be afraid to make decisions because we're afraid of failing. We can also be afraid of making a decision because we're afraid of succeeding. Both can be terrifying. My brain exaggerates both ends of those spectrum. On one end, my brain imagines extreme defeat. Huge fall, splat, flat on my face. And on the other end, fear of extreme success. What if I'm really good at it? What if my book becomes so huge that the paparazzi camps out around my house at night and my children get kidnapped and held for ransom? Okay, it sounds ridiculous to say those worries out loud, but I guarantee I have lost hours of sleep worrying about bizarre scenarios on both ends of the spectrum that will never happen, but seem absolutely certain at midnight. The truth is more likely something right down the middle will happen and failure or success usually happens incrementally. So we can get prepared little by little, even bigger than the fear of failure or the fear of success is the fear of the unknown. Our brain does not like what it doesn't know. Our brain loves its comfort zone. It loves to stay right here in the I don't know chair where the walls are familiar and everything is predictable. Number four barrier, obstacles. Sometimes we're afraid of making decisions because we are afraid that that decision is going to bring us obstacles and challenges. This is another way that we measure if it's a bad decision. If we run into a challenge or something hard, then we think that maybe we made the wrong decision. Not true. Obstacles don't mean that the path is wrong. It just means you're going to have to summon your courage, get a running leap and get through the hurdles. If you think about pioneer scouts, think about the people who explored the western United States to forge trails for the pioneer settlers to follow. It's not reasonable to think that they would venture on one path and that they would get through that path without running into any bears, snakes, waterfalls or mountains to climb. Every trail would present some kind of obstacle some kind of river to cross, some kind of wild animals, some kind of weather delay. So when we make a decision and then run into an obstacle, we can't freak out. Oh, holy cow, I made the wrong decision. No, every path is going to have obstacles and obstacles don't equal a bad decision. Be an explorer. Know that there will be obstacles and that you can surmount them. Fifth barrier, unchoosing. I'm not sure that's a word. This is deselecting. This is when we are burdened by options and paralyzed by the knowledge that in choosing one, we are unchoosing the others. It can be so hard to let the other options go. This happens to me every spring planting the garden. I plant carrots and every year I think this year I will thin the carrots. I will thin the carrots. And then when I see that row of green stems springing up, I don't have the heart to pull out 80% of those potential carrot plants and just throw them away. So I end up transplanting them and I will spend hours transplanting each little individual carrot sprig to another place in the garden and it doesn't work. They don't survive and I haven't yet had a really successful carrot crop in my garden. I am also the worst at thinning peaches When you have a fruit tree, your tree is going to bud out a lot more fruit than it has the capability of nourishing and sustaining. And so you have to thin about 75% of the fruit off. And by thinning, I mean you have to pick it and throw it away. Pick it when it's just a little tiny green circle before it has drained too much energy from the tree. And I am a baby about this. I pick that little piece of green fruit and I think that it could be a gorgeous, beautiful, juicy peach. And it's so hard for me to throw it away. Last year, I thinned our peaches and I basically cried the entire time and I did not thin nearly enough. We had some delicious peaches. They were very small and a lot of them didn't take at all. So unchoosing can be very hard selecting the one, selecting the few that you're going to focus on so that you have the energy to let those things grow, which means that you have to deselect the others challenging, painful. I hear you. The process really leads to the sixth barrier, which is overthinking. So science has reported that the prime age for overthinking is age 25 to 37. This is when our brains are wired to do the most overthinking overthinking is trying too hard to find the one right decision. It's based on the false belief that there is one that is right or one that is superior to all of the others. It's a paralysis of I can't choose this one because maybe a different one is better. This is what I call the sacrament bread dilemma. How many times have I been sitting in church feeling completely humiliated because everyone is staring at my bench, wondering why it's taking so long for my family to finish so we can pass the sacrament along? In the meantime, my child's hand is hovering over the tray, deliberating over which piece of bread to choose. Which piece is the biggest? Which piece is the most moist? Which piece doesn't have a trace of crust? Which piece looks like it could be attached to a second bonus piece of bread. It's such a huge dilemma. When the bottom line is, it doesn't matter. One piece of bread does not contain more salvation than a different piece. I know because now I'm gluten-free. So for the sacrament, I get either a little cheerio or I find the smallest crumb of the bread. And I guarantee my covenants are still good. We end up being debilitated by choices that in the long run don't make a difference. The big decision was to come to church and to take the sacrament. After that, any piece of bread will do just fine. Don't overthink it. Okay, we are done talking about the barriers. Now you know them, you can recognize them, you can maneuver around them when they pop up in your decision making. Number one, the tendency to label a decision as good or bad, right or wrong, based upon the outcome. Number two, the I don't know, the I don't know what I want. Sitting in the I don't know chair. Number three, fear, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of the unknown. Number four, obstacles, being afraid of the potential obstacles and challenges that might come to us from making that decision. Number five, unchoosing the challenge of deselecting, of unselecting the other options. And number six, overthinking, trying too hard to find the one right decision when possibly any number of the pieces of bread could work just fine. Let's move on to the good stuff. I have good news. I have power principles for you. I have three ways you can give yourself permission to make decisions. These are three tools that will help chip away those barriers and help you to move forward with courage. And I vow to apply these principles this summer when I'm thinning peaches and thinning carrots. All right, permission number one is permission to get out of the I don't know chair. Permission to let go of the I don't know. When you come up against something and you feel like you don't know, that's good. You aren't supposed to know. It's not just like a snap of the finger and you know. It's not as if your life is set and determined and that your decisions are basically a quiz and that there's a right or a wrong answer it's not that way. You aren't supposed to know what to do with your life. You get to discover your life. You get to create your life. So there's no such thing as I don't know. There is only I give myself permission to discover. The process of making choices educates our desires. I grew up in the time of three flavors of ice cream, In our refrigerator when I was little, there was only vanilla, chocolate, and sometimes some strawberries. I don't think ice cream makers knew at that time to make other flavors. Then what comes into existence? Baskin Robbins. And I remember the first time my parents took us to Baskin Robbins to get ice cream. It was in Price, Utah. My older siblings had just gone to see the new movie, Return of the Jedi, which is now Star Wars 7 or 13 or 23. I'm not sure and us younger siblings had gone to see Snow White. And after the theater, we met up at the new Baskin Robbins and I stared intently at 31 flavors of ice cream. And to this day, I do not remember what I decided. I don't remember what flavor I chose. Probably the store had to close before I could make a decision and so I ended up without any ice cream. That's probably what happened. The point here is that you can't know what your favorite flavor of ice cream is by never tasting ice cream. If someone asks you what kind of ice cream do you like, sitting in the I don't know chair and waiting for a flavor to be manifest to you by the ice cream fairies is not going to happen. Bottom line, you're gonna have to lick a lot of different flavors before you know your favorite or discover that you love them all. And this is not such a bad gig. So one day you can try one flavor and the next day you can try another flavor and so on and so on this is not wasted time. This is not wasted money. This is discovery. It's fun. Invest time, invest money, invest in your decision-making, experiment, explore, invest in the education of your desires. Those pioneer scouts had to try a lot of different trails, a lot of different paths before finding the one that they liked the best. When I married my husband, he was really set on owning a retail store. That's what he wanted to do for his career. He wanted to be his own boss, own his own retail stores. So while we were in college, he did some internships at the mall. And guess what we discovered? That working in a retail store is terrible for family life. You have late hours every Thanksgiving and Christmas, Black Friday. So did that mean that he had made the wrong decision to do a retail internship? No, that decision helped him to make better decisions in the future. So when you feel stuck in your, I don't know chair, change your story, give yourself permission to get out of it. Instead of saying, I don't know, say I'm in the process of figuring it out. I am exploring options. I am open to possibilities. I am creating my life. I am not supposed to know my life. I am meant to create my life. I'm not supposed to know what I need to do. I'm meant to discover what I want to do. I'm the CEO and I get to decide. The truth is that, I don't know, doesn't exist. We live in the age of Google. I saw a comic strip the other day where a man hikes to the mountain peak to ask the guru his burning question. What is the meaning of life? And the guru answers him, have you Googled it? We have access to more information than ever. We can figure things out. And even better than Google, remember, we have access to God, the all-powerful, all-knowing intelligence of the universe. And you don't even have to hike to the peak of Mount Sinai to ask God. You can do it right now. Wherever you are, you can get out of the I don't know chair and get down on your knees. No one ever has to stay in a place of I don't know. There are always answers. And the search for the answer, the journey to the answer is often what reveals the answer, not sitting in the I don't know chair. So get out of the, I don't know chair and explore number two permission to throw out the myth of right or wrong, good or bad decisions. It is a false belief that there's a right or a wrong choice. What if there was no such thing as a wrong decision? What if you knew that any decision that you made would ultimately work out for your good? Would knowing that help make the decision making process easier? Because it's true. Any decision that you make will ultimately work out for your good because our goal in life is growth. Life is not a right or wrong quiz. Making decisions produces opportunities to grow. Not making decisions puts life on default mode so that you end up being acted upon and that equals no growth. That's being stagnant, stuck, standing still. That's the technical definition of damnation. You're damned when your progress is stopped. That is the definition of a living hell. If you feel that your life is blocked and that you're not going anywhere, here's a clue. You may need to practice making some decisions. Practice making a decision on any level. Paint a wall. Get a pet. Sign up to volunteer somewhere. Do something. Take action in some form. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be a long-term commitment. It's good to know that most everything in life can be changed, repaired, fixed, redone. This principle is an invitation to change our thinking from right or wrong decisions, good or bad decisions, to giving ourselves permission to make the best decision that we can. You might argue that taking drugs or murdering someone is a wrong decision. And I'm going to reply, there's no right or wrong decisions. There are consequences, yes. But there are no right or wrong decisions, only consequences. And first I'm going to argue that taking drugs is usually not a conscious decision, but it's actually an avoidance measure to escape making decisions. Most people don't deliberately choose a life of crime, jail, or addiction. These are results of a lifetime of not making key decisions. The results of inaction more than the results of action. Addictions and negative behaviors are often the results of trying to escape from the fear of making decisions, the fear of making a wrong decision, the fear of not being able to select the right choice. Our lives are far more powerful when we exercise the courage to make a decision, any decision, and be willing to face the consequences head on. So you might ask, what about breaking commandments or leaving a church or leaving my faith? Aren't those wrong decisions? Again, I'm going to say there is no wrong decision because decisions are part of our learning journey and gaining experience. And the process of making decisions helps to educate our future decisions. So even if that learning process means breaking a commandment or leaving a church, it might be the decision you need to make at this time. It might be the best decision you can make in order to open the door to more options and better decisions in the future. And isn't that why we have the atonement? Isn't that why the atonement is the good news of the gospel? That it allows us to make decisions, to learn, and that everything will come out okay in the end. So let's let go of thinking in terms of right or wrong decisions and think instead in terms of consequences. Stop fretting if it's right or wrong. Make the best decision you are able to make given the knowledge and the information that you have and trust that you will be able to manage the consequences of those decisions because you will be able to. So number two, permission to throw out the myth of a right or wrong, a good or bad decision. Number three is permission to unlimited decision making. Guess what? This is an all you can eat buffet of decision making. Sometimes I get sick to death of making decisions and I swear if I have to see or digest one more decision, I will throw over the banquet table. It can be so overwhelming, but really it's good news. This is not who wants to be a millionaire. This does not have to be your final answer. Unless you choose the poison drink or the tunnel with the fire-breathing dragon, which might be your last choices. Otherwise, few decisions are ever final. Very few decisions are ever life or death. And even death isn't the end. So have some courage to make a decision knowing that if you don't like that decision, you can make another decision and also trusting that you have the ability and the intelligence to manage the consequences of your decision. Why is permission to make decisions a power principle? Because the exercise of making decisions actually increases your opportunities. It expands your life. You'll find that the universe gives you more choices and higher quality options as you make decisions. When you don't exercise choice, your options actually become more limited. Your life shrinks, constricts until you have limited opportunities. So when you're faced with a decision, think that it's not about right or wrong. Think that it's about choice. The exercising of choice, the simple fact that I decide something is going to increase my ability to make decisions in the future and is also going to increase the quality and quantity of options that I have. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there is a great example of how making the best decision you can at the time actually opens the door for greater options and greater opportunities. This past Christmas, while studying about the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, my daughter pointed out that Joseph, when he found out that Mary was pregnant, had the right under Jewish law to have her stoned. And I love verse 19 in Matthew 1 that says, Joseph, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. So Joseph, being a just man, made the decision he was not going to have her stoned. He wanted to spare her the embarrassment. He didn't want to make her a public example. And so he was minded, which means that he decided in his mind, he made the decision to let her go away privately. And my daughter pointed out that Joseph made the best decision that he could. Once he made the best decision he could, then the angel appeared unto him and gave him an even better option. Verse 20, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, which hadn't been an option for him before. He couldn't be a righteous Jewish man and take Mary, who was already pregnant, to wife until the angel of the Lord appeared and said it was okay. But before he could have that option, he had to make the best decision that he could with the information that he had. So the exercise of making decisions unlocks the door to greater options that weren't available until the first decision was made. And here's a number four that I'm just adding. Number four, give yourself permission to make a choice and own it. When you're a goat standing chewing on your grassy patch of field, you're going to see the wilted and dead patches in your own field because you're close to it. The grass in the field that the other goats are chewing on is always going to look greener because you're far away. That doesn't mean that your field isn't fantastic. Every field is going to have weeds, dead spots, muddy puddles, sour plants. I think the point is to pick a field and own it it's not as much about making the right decision as it is about making your decision right. I hope this has helped and that you can go forward and make your 226 decisions about food and your 35,000 decisions about everything else today with a little more decisiveness, courage, go get them by remembering these four power tools. Number one, the power of giving yourself permission to get out of the I don't know chair. Let go of the I don't know. I don't know doesn't exist. I am in the process of discovering. I am figuring it out. I am exploring options. Number two, the power of permission to throw out the myth of right or wrong decisions. No such thing as a right or wrong decision, only consequences. And whatever the consequences are, we can handle them. We can manage them. We can learn from them and go forward. As humans, we are resilient And we have the grace of the atonement to make everything right in the end. Number three, permission to have unlimited decisions. No decision is final. You can always make another decision if you need to, if you want to. And four, permission to make a choice and own it. Pick that patch of green grass and enjoy it. Make the best of it. If one day you decide that you want to try another grassy field, sure, you can do that too. It's your choice because you have permission to make the decision. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for listening to Power Principles, the podcast. I'll meet you here next week for episode six.